0: It's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one
1: for yourself. My understanding to date it's just the two of us and then just another, you know, handful of Navy guys as well that came from, you know, the SEAL community. So it's not a lot of Navy guys. But you know, one of the cool things about that unit is that it does accept folks from the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, you know, if they meet the minimum requirements. And I think that was another attractant for me was that there is a diversity of do you have the heart, do you have the drive, are you trainable? Because, you know, we can train this, we can teach this, you know, but the story of, you know, everybody knows... Rudy.
0: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today I'm really excited. We've got a friend of mine on who we've been talking about doing this show for like three years or three, or four more, I think. Peter Donovan. Man, thanks for making time
1: for this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I'm uh, looking forward to providing something for you. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: it's it's been fun this last year. I've had a number of our friends from from the special mission unit from the Army that you were in on the show who've also been helping out with child rescue over the years. And uh, just wouldn't feel complete without having you on the series, the mini series there. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Why don't we start with... Can you give like the super quick background of like from the bike shop to the Navy, to the Army, you know, to the Navy, to entrepreneurship, to the Army, to entrepreneurship? And then uh, we'll go back for for some specifics.
1: Yeah, you bet. You bet. So grew up in Western New York, south of Buffalo, and was a 80s, 90s kid, and really just loved the bike scene and got to involved with some great folks that, you know, decided to branch out and do their own thing and got to be part of that. And Got my first taste with the biking and the bike business in entrepreneurship and kind of caught just fire with it and was a hustler. Like I think a lot of kids are always trying to do side jobs and side things, not really understanding what that meant. And uh, went into the Navy after doing a couple of years of college, kind of left school. I thought high school was a waste of time and left. My mother let me leave the beginning, end of 10th grade, beginning of 11th grade, which I'm sure she's cringing if she'll ever hear this, but uh, it worked out well. And, you know, you you got to find your alternative ways and methods to get you to where you need to be, and ended up going into the Navy, went into the special boat teams, with, which is part of naval special warfare, and just kind of fell in love with that community and the way they work and the level of professionalism really fit for my personal drives and personality, and it was it was I was in you know I caught wildfire and like was blessed to work during a time right after 9 11 and you know, see what that was like when we were actually in a time of war, good and bad of it, and was lucky enough to work with, like, guests you've had before, Al and, you know, Tom Bigley and for those guys, and realized that if I was going to stay in the military, the Navy was great, but I fit really well with these Army guys. And they seemed at the time to fit more of my kind of laid back, more country kind of guy attitude. And they had just this extreme professionalism of their day-to-day life. And anyways, met some unique folks that, you know, gave me a chance. And I took it and ended up going from the Navy to the Army. And in between that, you know, was out for a little while and started a couple of other businesses and then ended up staying in the Army for another 10 years and got out now three years ago almost or two and a half years ago. And it's been great. Got back into the business world and was lucky enough to work with you a little bit, you know, which was fun. So
0: well, I so there's so many things I want to talk about there. I want to start with saying, and you know this, but how much I appreciate the sacrifices you made and put yourself in harm's way and potentially having your kids not grow up with a dad so that my kids can grow up with one. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I
1: always say thank you for paying taxes. I had a lot of fun, <laughs> it, was, it was a good time.
0: And uh, is, I mean, you've been such a big supporter of child rescue ever since we've known each other but you know you you taking on the mental of like running child rescue for us and you f- doing the fundraising and making like literally everything happen from from the gathering donors and volunteers to actually out there on the operations like you know, all these all these kids' lives that got changed because because you really took that ball and, and ran with that for us. You know, I, I've hopefully told you this before, but I'll tell you again, it means a lot to me personally. So thanks for that. Well,
1: and it meant a lot to me. I was honored and um, humbled that you, you let me do it. You and Steph are two of my favorite people in the world and your hearts are in line with so many folks that you've introduced me to and that we've been able to be part of. And I look forward to what else we can do, you know, because we have a lot of work to do still in this space, in these trying times. So the best thing I think we can do is just keep pressing forward, right? And we'll we'll be able to keep making impact that's lasting.
0: Well, and we may get into it more or, or less, but, you know, for, for anybody listening not as familiar with, with our charity Child Rescue, Peter did excellent work with both federal government and state government and working in the, the Southwest United States specifically Helping, whether it was getting money for after time hours for law enforcement in, in a big major city to be able to get some extra kids out that it was kind of debatable whether that was going to happen or not, as, as hard as that is to say. And and also some larger operations with more at the federal level and and quite a larger, you know, a larger number of kids for for an average rescue mission. And maybe we'll we'll talk a bit more about that later. But let's go back to let's start as on the boat teams. You know, there's a lot of movies. People get to hear a lot about the Navy SEALs, but we don't necessarily hear as much about SWIC. Can you talk about, for, for starters, what it stands for, you know, what the acronym stands for yeah. and what it's like to be one of those guys that, I mean, we see them on the Navy SEAL movies on those like crazy boats shooting up for the river with like the 50
1: cal minigun, you know, yeah.
0: but can you talk a little bit about, more about what that actually is?
1: Yeah, you bet. So SWIC is Special Warfare Combat and Crewmen. It came, its history came out of the, the Vietnam era, you know, small boat Navy, Brown Water Navy, as they call it, you know, so particularly in that Vietnam time frame, there was boats called the PBR, which was a wooden boat. It's the famous boat for you movie buffs out there. And if you aren't a movie buff, you still need to watch Apocalypse Now sometime. But, you know, that's a classic boat guy movie, if you will, that, you know, is about this group of folks that go up the river and their adventures and things they have in Vietnam in that time frame and an interesting movie. But so that's kind of the history of where the boat teams came from. I grew up, you know, on a lake in Western New York, always around water and boats. And it just seemed to be a fit. I didn't have the vision to go be a Navy SEAL. I had to get eye surgery and they weren't taking waivers at the time as much as I would have loved to have done that. But it ended up working out better for me. I think I was a better fit with the boat teams. And and then it brought me ultimately to the Army side where I think I found my home, you know. But the Navy was great. I was lucky enough to be part of, there's three boat teams, one on the East Coast, the West Coast, and one in the Louisiana, the Gulf area, which is the Riverine one. And I got to be there and be part of uh, that community at a really unique time where we, for the, the, some of it the first time in history since Vietnam, deployed where we could actually be utilized in rivers and you know in Iraq on the Euphrates and Tigris rivers and the different canals and things like that. And, and it was great. It was a really cool experience. And it led me to all these other things. And it's a great community of very dedicated, hardworking guys. And I think a lot of them still to this day. And they brought me up you know, and taught me that there's this other level of professionalism that you know I was seeking. And I think that kind of lit the fire for my personality personally of, OK, what else is there? There's a different way to do this. Of task organization, where we, you know, things that Jess talks about a lot—meaningful repetition and deliberate practice, right—to c- continuously improve. And I think that kind of lit the fire for me. So the, you know, a boat team's really—I'm uh, thankful to that worked out that way. You know, in life where we never go where we think we're gonna go, right? So I think we'll probably end up spending more
0: time talking about your your army career. But is there anybody that stands out to you in the Swick world that you feel like set a good example for you or that that you looked up to at that time?
1: Yeah, I've I've had, I had several mentors and folks early on that took me under wing, you know, um, a young guy, super motivated, as we all can relate, you kind of go in 5000 different directions, and every which one is on fire, you know, wall, you know, the term squirrel and ball, you know, as they go bouncing by, you want to chase every one. And I had a good buddy and a guy I worked for, Eric Schumann, who, you know, kind of reeled me in and, you know, was himself, me, seven or eight years ahead, you know, and had learned just enough to kind of help reel us all in. And I was lucky to have a really good group of guys, Cesar Monsalve and Jared Umber and Jeff Carter, you know, all these guys that we kind of came through together. And we went, all went to 22, which is the Riverine team. And Eric Schumann kind of took us all under his wing and mentored us and, you know, tried to reel us in and keep us out of trouble, both, you know, professionally and after work, you know, because you play hard and work hard. And we learned a lot of lessons the hard way. And Eric kept giving us chances. So we were really lucky.
0: <laughs> is there a story that comes to mind or is there an example that comes to mind of, of what was different about
1: Eric? I think that he let us fail knowing we were going to fail didn't micromanage us. That was the first leader I had that was aware that we were going to fail, but let us do it, you know, sometimes on a grand scale, but was always there to have that teaching or learning point and walk us through, okay, how do we adapt and shift and change now to be successful, which I think was really key, you know, because if we, if we didn't fail, as you, as you know, any parent knows, and I think anyone that's gone through a little bit of life, you know, through our failures come our success. You know and the relative drive of survival or thrival or you know determination to be successful i think comes from failure at least for myself and my personality and without being allowed to just fail I would never have even known how to start to be successful. Can, can you talk about this? Because I know what you mean. And I also know that you don't
0: mean mission failure. Like the, right. this was in a safe environment. Like, So can you give an example of like, sure. he knew this wasn't going to work, but he let us find that out. Or like we were trying to load this boat
1: and we tipped it over. Or oh, I don't know. <laughs> so many things, so many broken boats, so many broken trailers and trucks and You know, anything from just, you know, being a brand new guy and backing up a a 22,000 pound boat, you know, triple axle big trailer with an F-550 and just teaching you how to do that, you know, where to put your thumb so you know which way to turn when you're backing up, you know, days before backup cameras on trailers. And I know some of you listening have got that on your F-150. That blew my mind. But, you know, just failing that backing boats into wrong and hurting things and equipment, not to such grand scales, you know, letting us try things, you know, experimenting with gear and, and things in safe environments and, you know, training and having enough of an attitude that, no, I don't need that. I'll be fine. And him probably knowing we really did. And yeah, sure. Give it a try. You don't need that much flotation in your your jacket. Go for it. But when you put all your gear and all your stuff on, you sink every time, you know, (laughs) and just silly things, you know, but that was a great safe environment. To experiment with as much risk as you could without it, you know, jeopardizing the mission or, you know, life, limb, or eyesight of guys. You know, mostly, I think. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, uh, I'm I'm thinking of a specific story of yours and uh, and sinking in a river at night, which you don't have to tell if you don't want to. Oh, it's okay. It's
1: fine. I mean, so I was. That was a trip with Eric, but that was real world, right? And I'll always have a soft spot for any Marine, if any of those guys are listening, because, you know, I I got pulled up out of the water by a Marine after falling off a boat and trying to, you know, long story short, you know, we were in the middle of a river in Iraq in a combat area. And, you know, boat went high and dry on the sandbar. And, you know, we were in an area where we were taking contact and had been hitting, you know, IEDs in the river, you know. Can we pause? And just yeah. for,
0: for the people not as familiar with, taking contact means people were
1: shooting real guns at you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and you know, having having contact in exchange with the enemy, right? And and they were hiding, you know, improvised exploding devices, right? An ID in the river. And, you know, when you're on a boat, the river is your road. You're coming back that way, you know? So we went up one way and we knew, oh, crud, when we come back, you know, it's the same spot. So sure enough, we ended up having trouble. And I thought, you know, all gung-ho, I'd just jump off the front of the boat with a tow line with helmet and night vision goggles and, you know, a rifle and a pistol and body armor and boots and pants and gear and probably more ammo and magazines than I ever would have needed, you know, because in my mind at that time, you know, I thought I was going to need 150 rounds of, you know, 223 or 556, right? And I probably could have used like two mags, you know, later, right, as life develops. So I sank like a rock. <laughs> no, and I didn't have enough flotation or the things I should have had on that. I'm sure Eric told me to put on and I didn't listen, but you know, I was blessed that night and, you know, God was looking after me for sure. And, and a, a big, strong Marine. And I held on to a, a line. I was, you know, blacking out underwater and I felt a line went taut and kind of pulled me back up to the surface a little bit. And this big, strong Marine pulled me up out of the boat, like a wet rat, you know, and Luckily, I didn't have my dad bod that I have now, so I was probably only 200 pounds with all my gear, where now I'm 200 pounds without my gear, you know, so... But that was, a, that was a wonderful experience. You know, it taught me a lot of things and opened up my eyes to, you know, the reality of what's important and not important and just the value of what does it mean, you know, when we send these men and women overseas, you know, you know they're there for the guy and gal next to them doing what they believe is right. And, you know, it's not about riding on cool boats or helicopters or shooting cool guns. It's a bonus, but it's something deeper than that of what we're trying to do. You know, and I think, side note, that gets lost sometimes in our society and our, our, the news that you turn on, you turn on TV, whatever you want to call it, news or not, the storytelling, I think it gets lost in, you know, the hearts and the drivers behind some of these folks, you know, doing what they believe is good. And I think things like that put it in perspective. So hopefully that tells a story where folks realize, you know, when these guys and gals go to do this stuff, they, they're patriots and they believe in what they're doing. It's not, because they can't do anything else or it's not because they just want to do exciting stuff. There's something deeper than that, you know, and we're um, not to be lost or looked at as pawns because I myself have done that since I've been out. We kind of forget, right. You know, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's one story that ended up being great, but was a, you know, a little scary for a moment.
0: (laughs) Sure. Do you want to talk at all about any of your experiences that made you think, Hey, maybe if, if I do this again, you know, when you're, you're thinking about getting out and, Any of the experiences that made you think, hey, if if I do this again, I actually think the Army might be the place for me?
1: Yeah, yeah. So two big ones. The first one was in training, you know, in Florida with Seventh Group, which is a group of Green Berets, the Special Forces ODA guys, and they were doing a training mission down in Florida where we got to be part of it, working in the Yellow River area, um, in Destin Beach area, which any Army rangers listening know the Yellow River very well, that's where... You know the the lovely water and wet and warm phase for them happens, and uh, a lot of respect for those guys. But we were working there, and we were all taken back. All those guys I listed: Jeff, Jared, Caesar, myself, Eric. You know, because we came from a different world, a different community. At that time frame, you could come into the Navy for a while at 19, like I was, and go right into. Navy uh, special programs, right? Navy Diver, EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, SWCC or SEAL and try out, but right off the street, you know, zero to hero kind of thing. And the Army had never done that, but they had just started a program called 18 X-ray, which was the same program. Long story short, a young guy off the street could come in and go right to try to be a Green Beret. But we were just seeing that happen there where we were a group of very young, very inexperienced guys trying to play catch up into, for lack of a better term, a big boys club, Right. Where we were E3s and E4s and maybe an E5, you know, they were all like E5s, E6s, E7s, E8s, these more senior guys that had been a minimum of 10 years and had more experience. And we were so taken back by their organization, their task organization, their timeline, their structure, the detail-oriented performances. And it's not that we didn't have that or drive for that in the Navy side. But it was a different vibe and a different community that had it right away, opposed to where we were five or six years maturing. And the Navy does a great job of developing those folks and keeping them with a mixed bag. But that was the first time I said, you know, I really think maybe I fit better with these guys. And they were just a little more my personality and nothing against the the Navy. I had a wonderful time in the Navy, but there was a feeling of, from my perspective, humbly, it was more of a be cool look cool than be really good at it and that's just a perspective there's unbelievable professionals in the navy that do a fantastic job and i would never knock that i'm blessed for my time there but i just felt generally for the army at that time in 2001 2002 that it fit better for my personality of what i was seeking and the second was when I was in Iraq. That same trip where I fell off the boat or jumped off the boat. I didn't fall off the boat. A gentleman from the unit. I ended up going to the Special Missions Unit out of Fort Bragg, the Counterterrorism Unit. There, we worked with them on a couple things, and one of their sergeant majors, you know, their head guy, right, that was running this whole group of guys. You know, and these are the folks that ended up catching Saddam Hussein, right, you know, AMZ, you know, the deck of cards, if you'd ever heard of that in the news, this was these guys, you know, this is like the Michael Jordans, right. And I'm just this boat guy, you know, trying to figure out life. And long story short, great mission, you know, end of the night, we're all sitting around, you know, at the our little Ford operating base, you know, in Habania, Iraq. And, you know, this sergeant major, that's like Michael Jordan. It's like Michael Jordan walking around after everybody ate lunch or breakfast or dinner and picking up plates and putting in the trash and then taking the big trash can and throwing it over his shoulder. Michael Jordan doesn't take the trash out, right? I mean, and he might. Michael, if you ever listen to this, you might. But I mean, right, you know, so it's like, you know, whoever, use another analogy, right? But he did. And I was, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Like, I'm going to get in trouble. Please don't do that. I will be like big trouble. You know, and it was a simple, humble sentence of saying, hey, you're you're never too cool to take the trash out. I got it. It's my trash and my guy's mess, you know, and that was it for me. You know, it was like, okay, the humility, being treated with respect, even though I didn't really have any major impact for him and his life and his mission, but treating me for respect and the subject matter expert that I was in my small little space, that was huge. It spoke volumes to me. And I'll carry that with me for the rest of my life, you know, and that is what I had consistently seen with guys like Tom Bigley, Al Buford, you know, and I thought, okay, this is where I need to be. You know, what's interesting
0: is, I think, in a more civilian environment, that that story it feels somewhat less dramatic, but because of the number of years I've been able to chase you guys around and hang out with both the special operations community and and big army like i think for so many civilians we don't really get this sense of like just how hierarchical rank is and sure. you know like we don't we don't like we don't go around our work going sir and like when the boss says something we're legally required to follow an order or partial, or, or be sent to court you know court martial right like we don't so i i think for the rest of us we don't quite appreciate just just how formal that environment is so again this point. like like the rank thing the fact that you guys are the navy guys supposed to be driving these like you know the superstar army guys around right like the way this could yeah. reflect if if you know the way this could make your boss's boss look bad, if one of these yeah. higher ranking army guys from the coolest cool kids club in the in any military in any country in the world, let's just call him that. okay right, right. Uh, If they were to complain about you guys not following the things you've been taught your entire career, right? like there's a there's a lot more baked into that story on top of, you know, we won't talk about it here, but who he was personally as an individual. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this like this very real thing that if he had felt like it was out of line for you to not do your job, this like this really like you're not just saying in trouble hypothetically, like I, you could have really had a, a, a yeah. hard talk from, from oh, your yeah. senior talk. leadership,
1: right? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, because the, the reality of we had made it to the show, right? We had made it to the big time as this, you know, let's call it what it is, this secondary, but yet specialized community you know, we made it. To, I mean, it's like who watches football right now? Okay. I'm a bills fan from Buffalo, you know, whenever this airs. Okay. But like the bills are doing, they have won a playoff game for the first time in 25 years. Look at the Browns. Okay. It's like the bills and the Browns making it to the playoffs in the Super Bowl. We'd made it to the show. We were like, what? And then, you know, then to get there and you know, <laughs> the quarterback from the new England Patriots yeah. <laughs> is saying is walking around, picking up trash. You're like, hold on, (laughs) you know. Yeah, exactly. And he, you know, he's, he's walking around picking up trash and this gentleman, I'm being respectful to who he is and his privacy. Right. But this guy also later before he ended up retiring, he was a very senior guy. He ended up recruiting me to that same squadron, to that same group where he was, you know, and you know, it was a, do you remember me? And he goes, yeah, I remember you. That's why you're here. You know, like, and again, it was like, ah, validation that I just, you know, went through some crazy challenges to put myself in a capacity to go to the selection, to go to the selection, to go to the training course and get there. He's like, yeah, I remember you. And that's why I wanted you here. You know, so it's a good heart talking to a good heart, right? A good soul talking to a good soul. And sometimes they just align. And I think we have to look for whatever that sign is in life, the ether, whatever your faith is, God, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, just the energies of the world. If you wanted to go down that path, quantum physics, we have to listen to these little stories and these little signs. And I think that was a pivotal one for me. And it was through humility is the point I was trying to make there. Humility, not arrogance, but also
0: consistency of character. I think about the times we've discussed this story before and it had such an effect on you. It's had an effect on me, you know? Sure. And I think about this idea of like, as leaders, like who we really are, even when we're not on display, do you know what I mean? Like who we are all the time matters. And this like, you know, it's the middle of the night people are tired and eating mres not steak dinners and you know like yeah. right and this shows up then when he has plenty of excuses not to be like that and nobody's expecting that from him right and those oh, like yeah. it's almost like those times have the greater impact on the people yeah. were you know you, i i feel like this is it with our military clients and friends with our for-profit non-profit you're always trying to win like at least two or three sales pitches. There's a the sales yeah. pitch for the customer, okay, right? Yeah. In in the military, that can be Congress giving budgets, okay? But uh, voters, you know, but but very much the sales pitch for staff. Do the people who have the option yeah. to work anywhere because they're that level, do they want to work here? Do you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, understand. and that, I don't know, it's like, I guess it just, I feel like that story embodies the concept I heard a number of different places. I think John Maxwell might be the one I heard the most from, but he says like, you know, there's the, he's talking about the three most important things in leadership, right? The, the first one's pretty obvious example, you know, so what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. And he says, the second one is example. And you might be shocked to hear that the third one is example, <laughs>
1: that's good right no i love that again
0: middle of the night after being shot at people are tired and he's like he's like that at all those times and it it kind of goes back to that doing things for people who can't do anything for us you know like that's really where integrity and character is shown like doing something for a friend doing something for a superior doing something for a client who could buy from us i mean that's just expected like who we are how we think about people who can't do anything for us. Isn't that, I mean, do you see it differently than
1: that? No, I don't see it any different at all. It's, you know, it's uh, the old saying of, you know, doing doing what's right when nobody's looking, you know, and that gentleman, you know, genuinely is one of my, you know, heroes, if you will, in life, you know, it, it, just by example, nothing he said to me, nothing he I've read about him, nothing, none of his, his stories are, you know, crazy tales, which are vast and lots and many. You know, and the story I have with him that was interaction was about him taking the trash out. You know, if you wrote that down on paper without any backstory or context, you go, that's what the heck, Pete, you know, but when you put it into context and when you see example after example over and over again, he is that guy, you know, and those are the people we strive to want to be. And it makes me want to be that person. And I've failed at it epically every day since then. But every day since then, I'm trying to be that, to do that. And I'm sure he has failures, right? We're all human but those little moments in time where they get it right and you receive it right there's a transmit and receive that happens and you make a connection you make Mm -hmm. comms you know and we just communicated on a level that now perpetuates right we the snowball of it, it impacted and affected you and i hope with my heart it impacts and affects folks Well, in the right way.
0: And so I think about this effect. And I think that that simple act from somebody who didn't have to do that, you know, you were at this point where you felt like it was, you know, you felt like your Navy career was over, basically, and you're out and you're doing your entrepreneur thing. And this is one of the things, this is one of the things that keeps coming back to you. And you think about the benefit to our country and specifically the benefit to his unit where they get a guy like you for 10 years, our country got you doing, you know, the, the most elite, no fail missions from the president for 10 years over some like and that something that simple is yeah. is a major contributing factor. I mean, I think about your story sometimes. Like when I'm when I have low willpower, you know, and I know okay, I need to like emotionally hijack myself to get my game face on, right? Yeah. One of the stories that I think about is you saying you're off doing your you're off doing your entrepreneur thing, and you just have this feeling I haven't served enough. And feel free to correct me, okay? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. the way I remember you saying the story is, you feel like. You know what? I haven't served enough. I feel I feel called to go do this again, and so you decide to go for you know the most of it, elite of the elite that are that the army has to offer, right? And you know a lot of people know naval Navy SEALs have about 80% of people not make it through their selection process. The unit you go for has more like 95% of people not make it through, and those are pre-screened people with previous military experience and right but I remember you saying that you decided to take it serious so you moved away from family and for six months did nothing but train to get ready for this and watch the recruiting video from that unit which has been leaked on YouTube so I watch that video all the time I watch two videos I watch a Ramon Decker's Mu Thai video and that video all the time to like get my game face on and go like Jess oh, where are yeah. you whining? And it's about?
1: ACDC. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, yeah. and
0: any thoughts about what was going through your head when it's like you haven't even started selection and you're putting in six months of like not having a job and just training all day, every day, or maybe you had a side job. I can't remember,
1: but yeah, like, no, I was, i was really blessed, really blessed. You know, I had just gotten married, you know, and it was an interesting time in our life, you know, where I wanted to still serve. So I was, you know, wanting to do the guard, but then I also needed to be in the guard to be in a capacity because I had actually gotten out and been a civilian free and clear and was doing contracting work and starting uh, my own business up as an electrician, you know, in good old Tucson, Arizona. And uh, my, good buddy, you know, Jesse was really committed to it. He's a national guard guy and he still does, he does active duty work there for the border mission. And, uh, you know, this is now, you know, years and years and years ago, and he's still out there doing that mission, super committed, great guy, but I was blessed. He was a fantastic former, you know, arena football, like their professional level of the arena league, you know, and he was a personal trainer and he knew about nutrition and he was just this committed, dedicated guy. And uh, we moved into a cheap little, like, you know, one bedroom apartment and, you know, no TV, no cable, no internet, you know, by design. And we were just focused on you know, being successful, achieving life. You know, and you know, it's kind of like what and were you did training you, for? You know, life. <laughs> did you?
0: Where did you get your workout routine? I mean, like this is like you know Olympic athlete level training you're doing. Yeah. So they the, did you kind of know, or did you get some
1: guidance from them, or? Yeah. So my, so a, a couple different places. We got guidance, you know, from the program. You know, when you start to go down that path, there was some you could get generically, and then when you're officially in it, they give you recommendations of what to prepare for. Also, just you know, talking to folks. I was blessed to have. Have, like jesse in my life you know my father's an outstanding cyclist and athlete and just picking their brains he lived in tucson at the time or still does excuse me and you know again living where the topography was fantastic the mountains you know, I could I could train at five, six, seven, eight thousand feet in the mountains of Tucson, there, Mount Lemmon, and just being focused, and then having support of, from family. You know, my my then uh, wife, brand new, no kids, thank goodness, was like, yeah, I get it, I support it. You know, and uh, we were really lucky to do it. And for me, it was you know, it was a no fail mission. Like I had to give this a try and give it my best, and was blessed and lucky to be able to be accepted and get in there. But I think taking on that attitude that I learned early on in the navy and then just having those experiences and looking back on you know that experience I had with the you know that sergeant major in the trash and you know and those guys in Florida I have to give them credit I was so humbled by how professional and organized they were even just beyond the military and the service call I felt I knew that for life like this is a thing I need to I need to explore I need to see what this is about and I think that's something I'm, you know, going to always carry with me. And I want to make sure that I share with folks that we can do things if we just apply ourselves, you know, but you have to identify the internal driver, you know, and then we can talk about that if you want. But I mean, because I think that's, you yeah. have to have that first. You well, know?
0: The context I'd love to discuss that on is, is actually being in selection. And, you know, there's, there's a number of books out, you know, including by the guy who started that unit, right, that talk about some of the elements of that. And one of the things that's fascinating to me, in that is not just how physically grueling it is, but dealing with uncertainty and knowing like, I've got to be this place a really long ways away, but I don't know how fast I have to be there. But if I'm not there fast enough, <laughs> I get sure. kicked out. And like yeah. the mental game of some of that stuff, right. Not just the physical endurance where you, you know, like the physical endurance where you, you don't even know how long it's going to last. And like, yeah. again, you know, th- they're obviously pretty secretive about some of that stuff with selection, sure. but, but you do hear these stats that it is about, you know, 95% don't pass. And, and in some cases, I understand there's been entire programs where no one passed
1: yeah. in a selection. Yeah, that's my understanding as well, of course. I can you talk that about that so driver?
0: Time. Sorry, can you just talk about that driver? And, you know, my understanding is there's only a couple of guys from Swick that have ever made it through that. Is that right?
1: Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm dated a little bit now, but my understanding was it's just two of us myself and another individual also from that same riverine unit and folks have 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 tried from other places but to my understanding to date it's just the two of us and then just another you know handful of navy guys as well that came from you know the seal community so it's not a lot of navy guys but you know one of the cool things about that unit is that it does accept folks from the marine corps the navy the air force the coast guard you know if they meet the minimum requirements and i think that was another attractant for me was that there is a diversity of do you have the heart? Do you have the drive? Are you trainable? Because, you know, we can train this, we can teach this, you know, but the story of, you know, everybody knows Rudy, Notre Dame football, you know, we, we can't, we can't teach Rudy, you know, as far as to be a Rudy with his heart for the relative, you know, the analogy here, you either have it or you don't. But it can be developed more and more. But that, that initial innate driver has to be in you, I believe, at least. And I think the unit is smart in the sense that they are looking for that anywhere and everywhere. And I think most successful business models, and it's a business model, let's be real here, we look at that. You know what? How do we identify, does this individual have a driver that is trainable and teachable to achieve these levels of success? And I think that is relative. You know, yours is unique to you. Mine is unique to me. You know, we've tra- yeah, traveled you, around the world, right?
0: Can you talk about when it got even worse than you thought it was going to be? How you stuck it out? Yeah. So, like a, a selection, you know. Yeah. Train- just, just what do you think? What do you think your driver was? Why do you think you made it when ninety-five or ninety-five percent plus don't?
1: So, you know, I think for me, going into it, being the Navy guy, being a boat guy, you know, there was some healthy and some unhealthy. Of like I have to I have to do do this you know to to kind of b- break this trail you know and I was the first boat guy to be successful, and so I that that meant a lot to me you know having been part of that former community they they mean a lot to me they always meant a lot to me, you know good and bad of all the things we had there and I wanted to represent them well that at least you know out of this community there's folks that will at least get there and do, give it their best you know, and so that was part of it, you know, part of it also just who I am, you know, my father's a military man that achieved, you know, the rank of colonel and did some great things and was successful in life. You know, I wanted to honor, I'm the only son, you know, so I want to carry that name. I have sons, you know, so those personal reasons, like, you know, and those are of this world, right? Those are tangible. Some of those could be considered as arrogance, but I think beyond that, deeper than that was just the idea of here's the reality someone's done this before me you know we all are just man you know it's it's achievable you know it doesn't matter if you're you know the greek adonis you know olympian you know which you have there you have these guys that it's like they're just the gazelles i mean you'll hear people tell stories that like the selection they're like yeah it was kind of hard you're like kind of hard you're like dude that was horrible You know, and that's great, you know, but I think that you do the best you can and that's what they're looking for there. And once you understand that in the process, it becomes evident that they're looking for Peter Donovan's best. And you never know if what I'm going to do is enough for whatever this bubble, and you know, this time speed distance equation is because it's kind of the great mystery, even to the guys that are there. And that's great. I love that they keep that that way because you get folks like myself that get there and go I'm just going to do my best and they it's how do we how do we package that right in life in business now with my employees or people that I work with what do I do that's you know synthetically created but also just real to just give me your best and I'm going to be I'm going to be happy with that and there is standards you know but I think if you go and give your best you know that this is okay even if I fail I gave my best and that was, I think for me, how I got through the you know, answer your question, those hard moments was, I know I'm giving everything I have right now, take me or leave me, you know, and I think you get to that point, you know, where you go, take me or leave me, I'm giving it all. Well, I, I think about, I think about three of my favorite things about you.
0: And one of them was right there, the like, the, the 100% heart, you know, like the doesn't really take excuses part of you. Okay.
1: Sure.
0: The other one is... <laughs> I could say this with no disrespect for my other friends from that unit or other places in South. You've got to be one of the most, one of the funniest, and like most dialed into other human beings, folks from that background. Every time I watch like Chris Pratt like funny moments videos on YouTube from like Parks and Rec or Guardians yeah. Galaxy, I'm like, that is like <laughs> that is so Peter Donovan. <laughs> okay, oh, you funny. like no no like we've been through some crap together and you know right? And no matter how like sideways things are going, you can always turn it into a joke. And it's like, it's such a benefit to the rest of us. Cause it's like, it just makes it a little bit less bad, whatever we happen to go through. Okay. Oh,
1: I and, uh,
0: and you know, my wife and half the women we've worked with in child rescue, I think have a crush on you, but the other one, <laughs> the other, the other one is your commitment to meaningful repetitions. Like I'm looking at this poster in the background from some of the stuff you and I've done together and I think about when we've been lucky enough to be able to get you to come do some some stuff for us at Mylan Advisors at our consulting firm and whether it's leadership classes you've you've taught with me whether it's going to sales teams whether it's the the operational excellence stuff you know with our affiliation with the Shingo Institute and the the continuing improvement side your commitment to meaningful repetitions and I say that separate from repetitions you know people say practice makes perfect and that's obviously not true. You know, I've been typing for, you know, I've been typing almost my whole life, you know, at least for 30 or 40 years. And I'm not yeah. really that much faster than I was 15 years ago, right? Like, sure. but there it's, you know, all practice is not created equal. And yeah. I feel like you have set an example for me of like, pick something that really matters and commit to pushing outside the boundaries repeatedly with a check-in, you know, a scorecard, a mentor, somebody to help yeah. make those subtle corrections. I, I know we're kind of winding down here from time. So I either got to figure out how to talk you, how to talk you into coming back on the show, doing mini series like yeah. Al or something, yeah. but, but can you, I'm thinking about one of the stories you've taught. Can you talk about the, the meaningful repetitions that you guys go through in the unit? And it's okay if you don't want to tell a story, but if you are, okay, I'm thinking about the one where you went over the top of a mountain and down the other side and you could have very easily been shot by one of the guys in your, in your team. If he hadn't had the meaningful repetitions, is that, is that one okay to share or not so much?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I, you know, and I think we can keep it generic because the, the point or catalyst is, is, is what matters. Right. And, yep. you know, for me, you know, whether it's life or death or not, you know, meaningful repetition and keying in on meaningful, right. Because, If we just kick a ball over and over and over again, you're just kicking a ball. But if we have a target or a goal, you know, that is 50 meters wide, then 25, then 15, then 10, then five, then a meter wide. And we keep kicking the ball over and over and tightening in the end state, you know, for lack of a better analogy, that's meaningful repetition, right? I'm not just kicking the ball into the field. You know, i I have parameters for it and we have to set that up. And I think going as fast as you can, till you fail, going, pushing it as far as you can, till you fail again, knowing your failure point and then going just here until that becomes this again, and then just here. And then, you know, you get to that point where I know I'm going to fail if I go any further than this, but I've gotten faster, you know, speed comes with, with deliberate practice and meaningful repetition and efficiency comes, I use maybe a better word for it, right, crossing over in our business world. But the reference you're talking about, you know, you know, in Afghanistan, you know, where there is mountainous regions like that, anywhere in, in that part of the world, you know, a mission set where you have to do a walk-in, where you land in a helicopter maybe on this side of the mountain, but the target's over here on this side, and this provides the cover and the sound. Right
0: And and wasn't it also that like, it was like, you know, 18,000 feet or something like such a high mountain that the air gets so thin that sometimes helicopters struggle yeah, at that so height there's, too?
1: There's, there's places and times over there where the helicopters, because of the weight and fuel and, you know, now we know a little bit of stories of helicopters not being able to take off or land well because of Osama bin Laden and that story, right? Jalalabad and those guys flying out of there. But yeah, there'd be times we'd have to fly around a mountain or through a pass because we just can't get the airs too thin. Right. For them to cut and grab enough air to take us places. So, you know, we'd have to climb up and over this mountain and you'd have supplementary air, these little air puffers that were like a rescue thing for if you, you know, a diver, you know, runs out of air and he has this little, little tiny pack, you know, so things like that. But climbing up and climbing over exhausted and tired, worn out, carrying more gear than we probably should have needed and still having deliberate practice and meaningful repetition beaten in enough that there's a muscle memory and a mental pathway you know, for myelin and myelin sheath, right, that that has been coded enough, those, those connections in our brain, that this is the way it's going to happen, even when I'm deprived of energy, fuel, I'm tired, you know, my vision may be blurring, there's practice and time in to reset and get yourself in a place to take a well-placed and aimed shot, where we're not, you know, having blue on blue or green on green, right, you know, where we shoot at each other, and we stay efficient and effective. And I think that, Same process crosses over into business world. I mean, I know and see it now myself, but I'm saying that humbly to others, that mindset can be crossed over, right? If you have the drive and the success, the desire to be successful, take a step back, evaluate what your processes are and put in a routine of meaningful repetition and practice give yourself parameters and guidelines, give yourself a checklist. You know, it's not too crazy to say, create a mean mode and a median, you know, you know, not that we all love math, but those terms create a system of where am I, am I in the middle of, you know, my own range and and keep it 10 years from now, where were you 10 years ago, you know, and where am I today in that same range and am I maintaining exceeding or failing or dropping off? And I think that's something we all need to be good at or do, in my opinion.
0: Well, and I'm thinking about that story. And and again, without oversharing, I mean, maybe we could say, yeah. I'm guessing you'll be okay with saying there was a mission and there were some unexpected things happen. Got a little more, got a little chaotic and it's the middle of the night and yeah. everybody's so tired. And, yeah. you know, one of, one of these giant
1: irrigation, you know, irrigation tubes how big are those things? So the CREZ, the CREZ systems, old, old ways of bringing water and snow melt, you know, down to the valleys and to where they want it to go. I mean, some of these are, you know, you could drive a truck down them, you know, they're huge and they're old and they're some are in great condition. Some aren't. And, you know, it's not, not always the safest way to walk around and be places and, you know, having, having fallen or slipped through or fallen through on ice. And, into these you know sometimes that's like a 20 foot fall you know and it was a real thing then concern to think about when we were over there of how would we get guys out what we do and and they hide things in them they use them to travel and go and you know get around sneakily if you will if it's official term sneakily but you know we have to be careful of those kind of things but those those called the crez system and, and they're huge you could drive a truck down them yeah
0: well and just in the middle of a mission that's gone sideways somebody falls down one and very yeah. easily could have mistaken you as an enemy at the other end. And that's right, in the heat of the moment, you know, life's in jeopardy has enough meaningful repetitions to to put the patterns together, realize,
1: oh no, that's yeah. not the enemy. <laughs> I should right. shoot and, him. And that's you know, uh, that's through meaningful repetition and practice, realizing, you know, what is what does my buddy or the folks that dress like me look like through night vision goggles in a distorted tunnel and you know, being able to see and recognize that shape. I mean, you get, you would get to the point where, you know, Oh, that's Jess over there, you know, and it's, you know, you're 50 feet away facing out and just, I see your back in the middle of the night and it's dark and maybe it's foggy or there's smoke or, but I, Oh, that's Jess, you know, that's blank. That's blank. That's blank. Because you just learn each other's shape, size, movements, what you look like and don't look like, you know, with those non-verbals or clear definitions but we can only get to those levels of minutiae if we practice, give ourselves a left and right range and constantly push to the limits of, you know, to be more and more honed in. And I think hands down, we can bring that over into all aspects of our life, you know, through being consistent, you know, and my word, I, I have four children and I feel like I, I use all this on them daily the best I can, <laughs> you know as you're as you know I have little little kids again you know I started over so I have little babies again and I did not miss the not sleeping but I, I feel like I'm going through selection again sometimes right yeah I know you, you know, can relate not just a few
0: <laughs> yeah I'm glad you could finally catch up you can be in the four kid club so yeah. you know I think about that story and I think what's impressive to me especially is the timing the restraint and the timing you know like the the only story I can compare it to, one of my good buddies who's been with child rescue for years, we grew up skateboarding together and he got over his rebellious ways and became a cop. Okay. He's a he's a SWAT <laughs> officer in Canada. And he he has this story about he had been called to a really troubled area where they they typically have a lot of problems and they were supposed to there was they were supposed to pick up this guy there's worn out for him and and they'd heard he was at this place so he goes over and he doesn't see the guy he just sees some guy in a wheelchair and and assumes it's not the guy right, right because the guy he's looking for is not in a wheelchair well yeah. ends up it is the guy the guy pulls out a machete and comes charging at him to try and to you know try and take him out with this machete uh, wow. so my friend starts backing away but he's on the stairs so he's literally backing down the stairs sh- as he as he's pulled his service weapon and uh, he's like, you know, for people to shoot a Glock, you know, that click right before the reset. Right. Yeah. Yep. He's the guy is so close. He's at he's pulling, you know, he's doing a controlled squeeze on that trigger instead of jerking yeah. the trigger. Right. And he's yeah. at the reset on that trigger. And he realizes this guy doesn't actually want to hurt me. This guy's trying to commit suicide by cop. Yeah, and he puts that gun away and pulls his taser and tases the guy as he's backing downstairs. Wow. Essentially, saves the guy's life who wasn't really trying to kill him; was just trying to get himself killed. Yeah. Right.
1: right, right, unbelievable. And
0: just like the meaningful repetitions to have so much of that happen in the. In the subconscious mind out of automaticity, you know, backing down, you know, having the physical wherewithal to back downstairs, spatial awareness, enough repetitions with his gun uh, that that he can pull back at the click. Do you know what I mean right? And yeah. so when you tell that story, that's the only comparison that I have of like, man, yeah, putting in putting in the hard work when life isn't in jeopardy
1: saves can save lives when they are unbelievable story. Especially, and I have several good friends that are law enforcement officers, whether it's federal, state, or you know municipality or whatever county. And they'll tell you, you know, and having worked with them and trained them, you know, no fault of their own, but not having a great budget for a lot of bullets. Not, but, you know, when folks take, you know, the lemons and make lemonade with it and go, I don't have a budget for this, but I'm going to do a ton of dry runs, I've done a ton of dry fires, I'm going to put in deliberate practice. Fantastic story. Your buddy's obviously a fantastic cop and, you know, amazing human being because and we won't get into the world of today but look at the news look at things that have happened in recent times do we need to go to lethal force always no do we need to go to lethal force sometimes more yes you know and but being able to decide you know is it a real threat or no threat or how do i handle this threat not just through escalation of force but also like what is this person trying to do you know and maybe that's another conversation another time but getting inside of an understanding and knowing your threat knowing your mark for business your asset your capital raise your investors your donors you know what do they want what does do they need what are their drivers you know and unbelievable for him to see what this man wanted or desired wasn't the outcome that needed to happen through his actions I mean that's a moment you know where and good lord I'd love to know the follow-up with a story like that of what happened where's that man now today because he's alive what is he doing you know what did that do for him because these are the lasting impacts right and sometimes the lasting impact is is death or a lethality right but but knowing that you know that this is now getting very intense you know with the mortality of life or death type you know law enforcement officers or military but i think the lesson there is spot on of how important it is to look at things openly and objectively of how do I be better and best prepared to be successful in my space to make lasting impact.
0: Well, and I, I think about this, and again, it's something that I look up to you for. I think about, you know, we've done fundraisers for child rescue where we take guys out in the desert and they're shooting paper targets in the desert, but they get they get to have somebody like you or Al, Tom, mm-hmm. you know, teaching them how the, the best of the best do it. And tell me if I'm wrong here, didn't you tell me that you think you've probably shot over a million rounds
1: in your career? Oh, hands down, especially because of the Navy guy stuff. You know, it, was, it wasn't pistol and carbine there, it was that a little bit, but you know, our main mission in life was, you know, to be a gunship, right? A boat gunship, you know, and twin 240s and twin 50s and Mark 19s and mini guns, which are, you know, machine guns for everybody, right? You know, all fast shooting automatic weapons. You know, minigun shoots like 3,000 to 6,000 rounds a minute, depending on how it's geared or powered. And I remember, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, you know, us just not wanting, having so many bullets up at, you know, the training facility in Kentucky being like, oh my gosh, can we just like throw them overboard, please? You know, it's like three in the morning. (laughs) I don't, no one wants to train anymore. It's the winter in Kentucky, which isn't horrible, but it's cold you know yeah. it's like 30s well, and you know it's three in the morning they're like load up again and you know a, a loadout would be even for my front you know i don't know twenty thousand rounds maybe or something you know on the boat you know and we would do that for a month you know and we did that for years and years and years and and i'm thinking and i'm even thinking
0: on the pistol and carbines you know like Unfortunately, a lot of our law enforcement will get given like you know two hundred rounds a year as their practice. Right. And yeah. me hearing oh about you saying like, no, I'd go put in a thousand rounds a day. You know. Yes.
1: Yeah. And we were blessed. We were blessed in my unit for pistol and carbine, you know, to have you know, which is for folks that don't know the military, that this was kind of a unique and rare thing that you know, in your team room or your office, you could grab your gun and keep your gun there and grab ammo and keep ammo there. And grab your van that was always ready to go to your range that's always open for you, which that was like mind blowing when I came from the Navy. I was like, really? Anytime? You're like, yeah, you can come back to work and go anytime. You're like at three in the morning. They're like, yeah. You're like, what? And during, there's a, during, Let's actually talk yeah. about
0: that for one second. Three in the morning and, yeah. and with an under night vision. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like. You know, I think about, you know, the mission, you know, you guys are not only, you know, spoken about as, the, as the number one counterterrorism unit in, in the military, but but also hostage rescue. You know, like here in the States, we hear about HRT, you know, over at the FBI, which, you know, we know a lot of folks come out of your unit, but, yeah. you know, some, some reporter gets kidnapped in Iraq or something, you know, you are the kind of guys that get called or something like that. And where right. the big military spends so much time with their long gun, you know, with their carbine and... You guys really do have so many of these missions where no, we gotta get around a corner in a house and this is a this is a pistol type of mission, which you know, sure. let's face it for ninety-nine point nine percent of the military, that's a backup, that's a everything has gone wrong weapon. <laughs>
1: That's right. Not not a primary. Right. Right. It's a life saving at that point, you know, for them.
0: Yeah. And this, you know, this reporter or whoever the hostage is, their life depends on me being me being able to me being able to hit what I'm shooting at before he can shoot her or whatever. Right.
1: That's right. Yeah. And that's right. Being precise shooting, you know, the legacy mission, you know, and, and it will always be an important mission since the 70s. You know, aircraft being able to you know things like that, and you know that's a small space with lots and lots and lots of people, and training to be safe to fire a weapon, you know, in and amongst you know two hundred passengers or plus, at threats that are known or unknown, hiding in plain sight, disguised as other passengers. Again, man, you could never go into that confidently without having you know deliberate practice and meaningful repetition, and being able to do that is is super important. But it's all trainable you know that's something we have to take time and and effort and money and expense to do like in any business. Well, maybe maybe as the last one here
0: we can go the other direction. I think something that I have been so impressed with you and and I actually find this the more elite the special operations unit, the more likely I see this, okay? But mm. you you are constantly everybody wants to hear cool war stories from you and you're constantly talking about understanding humans and human psychology and what's in it for them yeah. to avoid violence. You were like, you know, there's that famous line in the the Liam Neeson movie Taken yeah. where his daughter's saying, what did you do, dad? And he says, I was a preventer. I prevented bad things from happening. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think people appreciate that enough about your mission and, and what you've done. And I guess I've had a lot of respect that you have a lot of chances for people to think you're really cool and they do by telling them the war stories and you're always taking the time to tell them, but that's not what we want to do. What we want to do is solve the problem before it starts. What we want to do is, is
1: never get to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's the point, right? But we have to be willing to take things to the end, whatever the end state is. And sometimes that's in this space. It is is, for sure, you know, but it's a mindset, right?
0: Like willing to do whatever it takes, Prepared to do whatever it takes, but not intentionally, you know, showing up with the hammer from the start,
1: you know? That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, the loss of life is sad in any aspect, in every aspect of life, whether it's through illness, pandemic, real or not real, you know, but, you know, gunfight, gangfight, you know, horrible things that happen through malnourishment or emaciation with like some of these children and things we see in our world and our country is always horrible. But I think that if we have folks that are willing to and able to take things to that place, you know, in the world we live in today, knowing we have that ability and capability and we will take it to that place, I think is allowing us to keep it from going there more and more. And that is just a reality. Is that something I'd love for it to always be that way? No, I'd be the first one to say, let's, let's not even have to do that. But seeing that world and being part of that world and having eyes wide open to the way the world and things really work and the amount of violence that other humans in this world feel the need to do and are ready and want to do that don't share this mindset we are obligated by god country the honor of humanity humanity to how do we do this better to not take us to that place to counter someone like that we can't counter extreme violence with extreme violence We just have to be willing to take it there, but we have to look at things in a different light, right? To how do we solve this this problem without having to have to be extreme violence.
0: And I I think it speaks a lot to the integrity of the individuals and and who you guys are at a human core that what I hear all the time from veterans out of your community is, I saw so much unnecessary suffering as Uncle Sam sent me around the world. That yeah, I want to make some money. And, you know, I feel like 90% of you guys end up being entrepreneurs because you know yeah. you're willing to, yeah. you you want to go for the gold. But but consistently, whether it's helping us out at Child Rescue Association, and you, I know you've helped a lot of other great causes, and you keep finding veterans at those other causes that you're helping. And, yeah. you know, whether it's, trying to provide clean water for people who don't have it, or just this calling that so many of you have of like, man, there was more I wanted to do that I my job wouldn't let me do. So now my own dime and my own time, I'm going to figure out how to use a bunch of the rest of my life on that. It it speaks very highly of your community.
1: No, thanks. It's, I'm very proud to have been there for the time that I was there. It was it was great and wonderful. And The folks continue, you know, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether we all liked each other or didn't like each other, they stay committed to each other. You know, the folks you've had on here, two great human beings that I look up to and have, you know, mentored me on and off. And I look forward to being able to do that more and share whatever we can, that there's value added to other folks' life and, you know, this, this humanity, you know, as we move forward to try to make again, lasting impact, because you can only do so much right when we're in one lane or one space, you know, because when you're working for Uncle Sam, no matter what unit you're at, you're working for Uncle Sam through the guidance and ultimately the vision and goals of a nation. And we're not going to always agree with all of those. It doesn't matter who you are, but duty and honor prevails and you you do what you are called and supposed to do in an honorable state. But having folks come out of places like that, link up with folks like yourself I think it's a beautiful thing coming together where we go, we've got some great drivers, we've got some great opportunity to now have a little bit more of a free reign of like how do we ultimately do just prevention, right? Because that's what what we really want to do. And I think that's what most folks want to do is we want to look at how do we make this better place so that we can get the world to less and less violence, where we don't need to have violence to make change because it it isn't always necessary by any means. Well, this
0: is great. Thanks so much for spending so much time here.
1: I know that this probably isn't something you would have normally
0: been seeking out to do. You're a bit more of a the quiet professional, <laughs> but I appreciate you being, being willing to. I think it's a real benefit, not only to me, but hopefully to somebody listening.
1: I hope so too, and I'm honored to do it. I appreciate it and respect you and your cause very much. Okay, thanks everyone.